this morning, I want to talk to you about how mature Christians think. Okay? How mature Christians think. And uh, here's, here's the verse for us. Go to your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Okay? The Apostle Paul writes, this is from the inspiration of, of, of the Holy Spirit, under the leadership of God. He says, he writes this, he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. You know, typically when I read this passage, I stop reading after verse 14. Right? Just to press on, forgetting what's behind, I press on toward the goal that Christ Jesus has for me. I mean, the word of God is so rich and so filling. I'm typically satisfied with verses 12, 13, and 14. Just those three verses is enough to fill me up. I mean, it's like after a great meal. You've ever been to a restaurant and the, uh, the waiter comes up and they says, would anyone care for dessert? And you're like, oh, I'm too full. I mean, it's like that. You know, like the word of God is just, it's already filled me up. Verses 12, 13, and 14. That's so rich, so good. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press forward to take hold of that which Christ Jesus take a hold of me. Usually, I'm, I, that's enough. But the other day, I decided to indulge a bit. So like when the offering of dessert came up, I was like, okay, let's do one more verse. Let's do one more verse. And, and it was verse 15 that gripped me. Let those of us who are mature... Think this way. Consider this with me. Why does the Apostle Paul, under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit, why does he call out the mature right here? Why does God want mature people to think this way? Why is it important, why is it important for the mature to forget what is behind and strain forward For what lies ahead. I mean, why not let this fabulous truth of pressing onward toward the goal, why not let it be open-ended to all believers at at every stage of spiritual growth? Why Why not be for everybody? Why call out the mature here? Now, Now, there's some things we need to understand about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity before we answer those questions. The Bible tells us that there is such a thing as spiritual growth. I mean, before salvation, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are all dead in our transgressions and sin. And then Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that we must be born again. Right? 1 Peter 2 2 tells us like newborn babies, we are to desire the pure milk of the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul reminds the Thessalonians how he, he dealt with them as a father treats his own children. In Hebrews chapter 5, I love this passage, and we'll put it on the board for you. He says, uh, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity are a real thing. And I think it's safe to say that this morning, in this gathering, there are people who are of various spiritual growth and maturity levels. Because that's the way God wants it. In Ephesians 4, we're told, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children... Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful screams. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, one of the key roles for me as a pastor is to help people grow up in the faith. And it's not just mine alone. I mean, it says he's he's given those to be teachers, uh, to be shepherds or elders, uh, an evangelist. All of this, it's like God's given them to equip the saints, you, to do the works of the ministry so that you might mature and grow up in every way into Christ. You know, it's been my observation during my years of ministry that many of the problems that churches have can be linked, linked to immaturity. I mean, truthfully, I watch the news and I see people interviewed, whether they be a person on the street or even some of our politicians, and I just see immaturity abroad. I mean, like, like, so, like, so, like I think all of America is suffering from immaturity, and the church, no less. Maturity is what we need. We struggle over childish things and we spiritualize our own childish behavior. Um, and, and like my two-year-old daughter, Sadie, we all tend to think that we are more mature than we actually are. Earlier this year, I was having fun with Sadie and just, just enjoying how that little two-year-old mind understands this world. And I asked her, I asked her some questions. I said, Sadie, who's nice? She says, I'm nice. She points to herself. I say, like, okay, she's, she's, she's nice. Let's, I'm standing over her big. Mom's right over there across the way big. She's little. I say, Sadie, who's big? She looks at me and she says, I'm a big girl. She points to herself. I imagine everyone here today assumes they also are big. You might very well be a spiritual child. And that's not meant as an insult. It's just like, let's let's just deal with the reality here. Spiritual growth is a real thing. Spiritual maturity is a real thing. And the Bible calls us into maturity. I hope you realize that time 
does not ensure spiritual growth and maturity. I've heard it said, there is a difference between living 65 years and living one year 65 times. You've seen people in this world that illustrate that for us? Just stuck. The difference between living 65 years and living one year 65 times. Time does not mean that you're going to mature. It's an unfortunate reality that so many have gotten older, but they just haven't grown. And when I observe the things in the country going on in these days, and I see a lot of immaturity. Uh, Another thing that's worth understanding about spiritual growth and maturity is that maturity does not make you more valuable. Maturity does not make you more valuable. My 13-year-old son is more mature than my two-year-old little girl. But who's more valuable? In the eyes of a loving father, it doesn't make you more valuable. You can be more mature here today, but that does not mean that God appreciates you and loves you more than somebody who's immature. Because a loving father loves his children regardless. And he celebrates them and he defends them and he provides for them. So, so maturity does not make somebody more valuable. Be certain your heavenly father loves the spiritual infant as much as he does the spiritual mature. So what does maturity look like? It looks like Jesus. Spiritual maturity Loves like Jesus, is patient like Jesus, it serves for the good of others like Jesus, it gives encouragement like Jesus, it yields to the will of the Father the way Jesus would yield to the will of the Father. I remember years ago I was a youth and college minister in Stephenville, Texas, and I was leading this worship team of a large collegiate Bible study, all right? Um, this, we had like you know, 500 college students coming to this event. And, and it was my job to lead the worship team, okay? So in this worship band that we had, like I was serving at a church and we had some college students that they started going and leading the worship out at a little bitty country church called First Baptist Lingleville. Little bitty town. One of those towns that you'll, you just miss it if you're driving too fast. And because there were college students leading worship in this little bitty town... A lot of other college students ran out to this little bitty town for the sake of the, the worship time. And the church was growing. And there came a disagreement, a division in the church over the music and over how new monies were to be spent. And they were disagreeing. Now, because I was serving at a different church, I got to hear the people's disagreement. They, they would come to me and they would give me their opinion on the matter and they were hoping that i would validate their opinion oh you're right these they're they're wrong and they should do things your way and i got to hear both sides and the funny thing is both sides both sides of this disagreement said like just people there are so immature if because if they were mature they would see that my uh, opinion and preference regarding music and money is the right one. And the other side is like, oh, no, no, they're immature because if they were mature, they would see that our preference on money and music was the right one. I don't think either side was mature at all 
in the midst of their disagreement. Both sides accuse the other of being spiritually mature. Fighting in the family of God is rarely the result of spiritual maturity. And the children who are fighting will accuse the other, but it is rarely the result of any spiritual maturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul is addressing saved believers here. I mean, he calls them brothers. But they were so immature, they were so infantile in their faith, Paul calls them, I mean, that's what he calls them. He calls them infants in Christ. Their maturity in Christ is so small, so little, that Paul says they're still of the flesh. Some of your translations say they are still worldly. Worldly, Basically, he is saying, you are acting like unsaved people. Jealousy and fighting among believers is a sign of immaturity. And just a side note here, Paul calls them brothers here. He, he says they are infants in Christ. This is why I believe that they are saved believers. But then he describes them as being fleshly or worldly. But see, to him, that's not a sign of lostness. That's a sign of their level of spiritual maturity. You know, sometimes we can be really quick to question someone's salvation because of fleshly, worldly behavior. And I get that. I really do. But Scripture would have us consider that a person may simply be an infant in Christ. And like a newborn baby, they need someone to nurture them toward maturity. So you don't, you don't, you have the expectations of infants as an infant, and they need a lot of care. That's just a side note. Spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. And the more mature a person grows, the more willing they are to sacrifice themselves for the good of others. You know, a lot of people mistake spiritual maturity with biblical knowledge. Uh, they, they think that biblical knowledge is a sign of maturity. It is not. It's not. Love and obedience is. If you've learned all these incredible facts about biblical history and ancient languages, and you can from memory detail out theologies of great Christian thinkers of the past, if you could explain big words and, and you can dissect doctrinal nuance, but you can't get along with other people, then I would assert you're a spiritual child at best. I've known many well-educated, seminary-trained spiritual babies in my time. Been through the seminary. Jesus says in John 13, I already referenced this verse, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I mean, suppose you could do a, a Greek study of this passage and explain the difference in the various Greek words for love because there's three different words that you find 
in the Greek, you know, they're not all the same. You can talk about agape versus phileo, and then you can, you can dissect the nuances of the Greek word for disciple, methetes, um, and, but you can't get along with other people. You can't forgive, you can't sacrifice, you can't serve. Then I would suggest you've missed the point. Thank you for the Greek lesson, but you don't understand the teaching of Jesus at all. Spiritual maturity grows over time to look like, love like, serve like, and give like Jesus. Now, is there anyone here today who would say of themselves that you love like Jesus yet? So we all got some room to grow, don't we? We all got some room to mature a little bit. That's good. That's good. So let's go back to the original passage. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. Why is forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus a mature way to think? Why does God want mature people to think this way? The first reason, and we've already established this, is because spiritual growth and maturity is a, is a real thing. As a father, I want to see my children grow. I want to see them grow physically intellectually, emotionally, morally. Someday I hope to see them grow financially. I mean, and, and then pay me back a little bit, you know. Um, I, I, I want to see them grow socially. I want to see them grow up in all ways. And when they are not growing in any of these ways, and you guys have been parents, you know this. That's a reason for concern. Because because the growth is good. You want to see that. Your heavenly father desires for you to grow. He wants more for you than just for you to one day be with him in heaven. No, he wants you to have the character and the blessing that comes with it of being like Jesus. So the first reason it's because God desires you and I to grow. The second reason this is a mature way to think it, and is a reason it builds from the first. It's because God's goal for us is more than just heaven. And because his goal for us is more than just heaven, as we mature, our goals become like his. You know, many of us start a relationship with God. We, we start our faith with Jesus because we want to go to heaven or we want to avoid hell. Or we, we recognize that there's a real problem in our life and we need saving and God help me from this addiction. And we come to Jesus because we need either saving to heaven or saving out of our current problems. And that's our first step. But as you mature, you realize, my goodness, it's not just this one day I can be in heaven someday. It's that I can have the character and surety uh, and 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 love that was in Jesus. I, I can be more than I am right now. As you mature, you start to... It starts because I want to go to heaven. 
But as you mature, it becomes like, I want to be like Jesus. The third reason this is a mature way to think is because discipleship is the call. Not only has Jesus called you to be a disciple, but he calls each of us to make disciples. You see, you cannot walk with Jesus and think only of yourself. If you're truly walking with Jesus, then his heart for people will become your heart. Because that's the way he's going. Jesus wants to see other people saved and growing, and thus that becomes our desire as well. You know, they say in discipleship that more is caught than is taught. And it's true. The reason it's important for mature Christians to forget what is behind and to keep pressing forward on into spiritual growth is because there are others coming up behind us. What do you think would happen? Or what do you think happens when a person meets Jesus and they're saved and then he or she starts to take their first steps in their faith and they come into a church setting and they look around for examples and what they see are supposedly more mature believers who are just lounging. They're just, they're just enjoying the show. They don't give. They don't sacrifice. They don't take any extra steps to grow. They just come to the one big show. What do you think happens What will they be inspired to do if the example they have is a bunch of believers going nowhere and doing little to nothing? Those who are mature must press on because God is bringing up others behind us. He's not done saving people. And we got to show them that this Jesus is, is, is more exciting than just getting you to heaven. That, that, that he has a, a, a gospel good news that would, that would, Enhance, if not rescue, your, your marriage. That he, he can enhance, if not rescue, your, your finances. That, that walking in his ways is... That's what Jesus says. If you hold to my teeth, John eight thirty one and 32. It says, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus says, If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. God wants to set people free. We got to show people that the good news is more than just going to heaven. The good news is you get to live as a disciple. That's, that's, that's incredible that he would change us and, and teach us as, way to, as he does. We have to show them. Discipleship, in discipleship, more is caught than is taught. And immaturity is rampant in most churches. And there's several reasons for that. But one big reason is because people have no other option than to follow the poor example of others. And quite frankly, in most of our American churches, all we ask people to do is simply come and find your seat and watch the show. Preacher's going to do the work. The music person's going to do the work. You just come in and enjoy the show. People treat the faith like they would a, a movie. So much deeper than that. We have to press on. It can set a good example. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And I love how this verse concludes. If, if, if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. It means that if you're sitting here today and you're going, I disagree. God will fix that. <laughs> I don't have to convince you. God will. As you mature, you can't help but, but 
but, but, but to have the heart of Jesus. Finally, he says in verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. What do you think that means? Hold true to what we have attained. If I were to put this in the realm of spiritual growth, all right, we were, we were all once, if you're not saved, you're, you're currently spiritually dead. But we were, or we were all once spiritually dead, and we had to be born again. All of us at one time, if not presently, were spiritual infants. Listen, if you're an infant, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to Jesus, you know what you need to help you grow? I mean, you need others to come alongside you and help you. you there's a lot of things you don't know because you're new. Nothing wrong with that. It's just what it is. Ask questions. Listen, learn, listen to the stories. And if you, and if you know a spiritual infant, tell them your story. They're going to they're gonna benefit much more from your story than from a doctrinal study. That, that'll come later. But, but, the, but the new believer, they need stories. What it was like when you got saved. What it was like... When you started reading the Bible, that's what they need. Then that's what you need if that's where you are. Let us attain, let us, let us hold true to what we've already attained. If, if you've grown out of spiritual infancy and now you're a spiritual child, all right, what you need to continue your growth is you need, you need to establish a personal connection with God where you're not going through another person to tell you what God is. Now you're, you're, you're establishing your own prayer time with God, your own reading of the Bible yourself. You, and you need to be in a group of people because he says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. You cannot be isolated and do this follow Jesus thing. You, you can't. It doesn't work that way. Okay? You, you need to get involved in a class, into a life group, all right? Uh, because we're rebuilding, we have a lot of work to do with life groups. And that's a work that hasn't started yet. So I, I wish I could say, okay, this is what you do this week. Nope, what you do this week is, hold on, it's coming, okay? Um, uh, if you are, if, once you get into the realm of the spiritual adolescent, you know what you need to do? You need to serve. You need to start doing. And, and remember this. Here's a sign of spiritual adolescence. When you were a teenager, how smart was your mom and dad? Yeah, Seth's over there like, yeah, I'm very smart. I hate this. I spent 20 years working with teenagers as a youth pastor, and now I have a teenager of my own. And some mornings we have a great conversation, drop out of school, and some mornings he's looking at me like, I hate that. That's how I looked at my dad. Now, when you're a teenager, you get really idealistic. And you start thinking of other people who are in charge. They're not as smart as you. It's a sign of adolescence. If that's where you are, just recognize it. What you need to be doing, rather than griping about what people do, is you need a place to serve so you can start learning, you know, to do it yourself and either find the better way or figure out. It's like, man, we live in a fallen and broken world, and sometimes it's just the best that you can do. Okay, you move on into maturity and finally what maturity looks like, what maturity looks like, the mark of maturity is is giving up of yourself for the sake and benefit of others. Jesus is the ultimate of that because Jesus gave of him. I mean, he emptied himself and made himself to be like us in human form. He, he gave up the glories of heaven and came down here and then he he put himself out there where 
where, where he let us beat him and brutalize him and hang him on the cross. He gave himself up for us. That's the mark of maturity. And the more you become like Jesus, the, the, the more able you are to sacrifice your time, your, your possessions, your, all the way up to your whole self. Because that's what Jesus did. That's the mark of maturity. That's why when I look at politics in America, I just see a bunch of little infants running around doing for themselves. Nobody's sacrificing for anybody anymore. But you know what? God isn't going to save the world through the government, is he? But he puts people like you and I in the church. So, what do you got to do today? What is behind you that is holding you back from taking a step forward? Forgetting what is behind. What's behind you? Did it hurt? Is it a memory of the good old days? Is it a habit? What's behind you? What do you need to forget about? What do you need to press on towards? What do you need to put effort and motion into? Like, like, like I, 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 have to, I, I have to work at this. What do you have to do to press on? He doesn't say sit back. He says press on. What do you need to do to press on? To take that next step of growth. Some of you. It's time for you to learn by doing. Like you've learned a lot by listening. Now it's time to learn by doing. Take that next step. What do you need to do? Let's take a moment. And ask God to reveal that to us. He's calling us to grow. Mature. Father God, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our past better than we know it. And Father, you know our future better than we can even anticipate it or even hope for. Father God, speak to our hearts in these moments. In days to come, how should we move forward? Help us to learn from the past, but not to hold on to it in a way that keeps us from moving forward. And God, may we, as a group of believers gathered here at this church, called to make disciples... May we, um, may we show folks how wonderful it is to follow you. And that with every ounce of our being and our lives, we just follow you with, with hearts that are abandoned to you. And may others see that, that, that you're never too old to grow. And that little by little, Jesus, that your patience would become our patience, that your, that your heart of service and sacrifice would become our hearts, that, that your, the love that you had would become ours. Oh, Father, we have 
So much room to grow. And what a wonderful opportunity you've set before us. You gave your son to save us from your, our sin and the, and the Holy Spirit to guide us and your word to teach us. Father, that you would save us more than just from hell, but now you would bring your life into ours. What a wonderful blessing and opportunity that is. So show us what our next step is. And, and God, I pray if there be one here who's gathered with us today, you've brought them and, and, and they need to be saved. They, they, need, to, they need to be uh, have a heart restored so that this wonderful journey of growth and maturity can come before them. But God, I pray you speak to their hearts that, and, and, and cause them the way you did me to, to, to not want to do one more day without you. Father God, um, we are yours. So have your way with us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.